0: You're listening to the Hustle Podcast, stories for startups and innovators. Find out more on www.gohustle.co. And I'm delighted that uh, Todd joins me on the, on the line now, uh, all the way from Seattle in the United States. Todd, you're very welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, it's great to be here.
0: Give us a little insight into uh, V and what you guys do quickly.
1: You bet. Uh, Virial, as you said, we're a Seattle-based startup. I've been working in virtual reality uh, for a few years now. Uh, basically what we've done is we've created a way for you to, to enjoy and watch gaming content in a VR headset, um, And especially when you think around the way people watch games today. You know, in the last five years, video games have gone from something that you played to something that you might watch as much as you play. And the examples that people usually think of in that case are YouTube and Twitch. And when you've got uh, VR coming along, you know, there's going to be a new way for people to enjoy that similar same uh, kind of content, but for VR games specifically when they want to enjoy them in the headset.
0: Yeah. And, and for for you as well, this kind of interest in, in gaming goes back right back to you being a teenager as well, doesn't it? I mean, this is how kind of how you got into that kind of sphere, is it?
1: Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. As a teenager, you know, I was a uh, typical nerd. Uh, my parents bought me a computer and I started writing some video games and crazily enough, sold them to a local company, which I, I found out years later had actually sold them all around the world. Um, and I mean, they're terrible games, you know, they're written in the 80s, they're very, very uh, basic. I really didn't know what I was doing. I was, I mean, I, I'm from Perth in Western Australia, so it's a very remote city. There's not a lot of, uh, certainly wasn't any sort of community you could rely on. I basically got all my information out of books and magazines. Um, and so, you know, I went off and did non-gaming stuff for most of my career, ended up in Seattle, uh, did a number of tech startups, but then sort of came back into gaming about, uh, 10 years ago. And, uh, so it's funny to see how you kind of can come full circle in your career to something that personally I'm passionate about. I still consider myself a gamer. I'm probably older than the average gamer, but, uh, it's something that is in the DNA of this company. And it's something that we've actually found really even down to hiring people. If you like games, you're probably gonna fit in really well with this this crazy bunch of people here. If you don't like games, you may not have a touch point with them.
0: Mm. And how do you make your way to Seattle and of course, developing and starting V Real?
1: You know, it's one of those things, um, growing up in a remote uh city uh did a couple of tech things back in my hometown and quickly realized i was in the wrong part of the world really and uh you know i always admire entrepreneurs in distant capitals because it is really difficult even even culturally and you may be able to relate to this from the european experience but you know i would say to this day my parents would still like me to have a Uh, a nice job at the local college as a professor Uh, versus being a, a tech entrepreneur they you know they still see that as kind of um risky uh even though you know i've done well for myself uh and and in the us one of the great things i love about america is you know we understand that you don't create anything without risk and sure you know any startup could go sideways at any moment But people understand that that's just the nature of of capitalism and the kind of creative destruction that we have and that actually is something that personally inspires me. So I've been in Seattle for quite a while now and uh, as much as I love Australia, I I really can't see myself doing a, a, a company outside of the West Coast of the U.S. now.
0: And why virtual reality and why did you think that it's the right time to start a company like this?
1: That's a good question. Um. You know, I, before I started VR, I was on the uh, leadership team at uh, Unity, which is a pretty well-known company, uh, actually from Denmark, that um, creates the uh, game engine that's used in a lot of uh, mobile and VR content. So got a kind of a front row seat to that company and saw the birth of VR. And I remember doing my first demos on the DK1 and the DK2, and I wasn't quite convinced. I thought it was interesting, but it wasn't quite there. And then two things happened in rapid succession. Um, one was that uh, Mark Zuckerberg bought Oculus, and then you know you, you start to really reframe how you think about VR from well it's this cool peripheral to wow this is a new computing platform, and you can start to see all the large companies aligning around that. And then the second one was uh, our office at Unity in Seattle is just across the street from Valve, and you know any, any gamer knows Valve. It's always fun to go over to their office. So I get a mysterious call, come over and see something on Thursday, and it's under NDA. And anyone who's been to Valve could tell you that they don't normally do NDAs. So immediately my interest was peaked. So I get over there, and you know I'd seen their VR experiments before, and I thought they were cool. But then they handed me this headset and said, this is our new VR headset. We're launching it in six months. And, uh, and I tried it on. And, you know, at first I was like, wow, this is cool. And then within 15 minutes, I had totally forgotten. I was standing in a room in an office in Seattle. I was on some other planet doing something. And it was the first VR headset I'd used with motion track controllers and uh, the full kind of room scale experience. And I was sold. That was kind of like, that was kind of like the, um, you know, the Alice uh, in Wonderland experience for me that really tapped into something where I lost track of where I was and I really thought I was somewhere else. It's
0: one thing to look at something and go, hey, this is really cool, and be inspired by it. But it's another thing entirely to leave quite a successful company who's on the up and up as well. Uh, as, as you mentioned already, Unity, a lot of people would see it, especially gamers. Um, so how did you kind of make that leap into just going, actually, I'm going to leave that behind and start this? What, what, what was niggling at you in your in your mind?
1: Yeah, it was tough. I mean, Unity's a great company. I had a lot of fun there, a lot of great people, and a lot of friends there. Um, Unity had gone through a lot of changes while I was there even. Um, you know, it's a very widely distributed company. There was a lot of travel. And uh, ultimately, I think what I decided was, even though I really enjoyed working there, I really wanted to get back to the CEO role. There's a quote that I love, and I'm, I'm forgetting who said it. I think it was um, – uh, anyway, you may know um, – better to rule in hell than serve in heaven hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, in some ways that's like you know uh people what does that really mean but you know when you have your own destiny like and you and you control of and you can create something uh i find that super inspiring and you know the ability to do that in seattle which is a great town for vr just as the i got that demo you know i started to see friends of mine that were starting other VR companies. One, one company that you'd probably be very familiar with is PopCap Games here in mm, Seattle. Yeah. So John Vici is one of the founders of PopCap, and he'd left EA um, you know, a year or two earlier, and he was starting something in VR. And I went over there and saw their excitement around it. And I felt like you don't get those opportunities that often where there's something new starting. There's there's something big that's starting, and you can be in early and have actually have an impact on it. And, I, and if I didn't take that opportunity, I knew that I'd be kicking myself for it later. So as much as it was tough to leave Unity, and uh, you know, I, I think I left on good terms. I've still got plenty of friends at Unity and they're doing well. I think it was a good opportunity for me to go out and do something. And, and to be you know brutally honest about it, I really didn't know what that was. I had ideas and we laugh and go back and look at some of the original pictures for, um, for v uh, We knew that we wanted to do something in VR You know, I knew VR was a big trend that was coming. And if you think of it as a new platform, you know, it can be as big as mobile, PC, web, all those platforms we've seen in our lifetimes. Uh, The other thing that I knew was this massive um, expansion of games where games have become media themselves. And I figured out someone was going to crack the code on that. And it's one of those disruptive things. VR is a disruptive tech that means that it's probably not going to be the incumbents, right? But the technology used for Twitch and YouTube is radically different from the technology used for Vreel. And so it's it's always interesting as an entrepreneur to look out and see, wow, here's a, here's a potential disruption uh, of a space that we already know is pretty big. In fact, if anything, yeah, the business model may be a little different, but it's probably gonna be something similar to what we've seen. The interesting thing is the technology and the product itself um, will be will be difficult and of course I had no idea of what the other challenges will be and we can go kind of more into that when we jump into fundraising mm. and
0: how to, talk to so, us a little bit about the, the technology because virtual reality itself is uh, I, I would imagine takes quite a, a chunk of data and power to create the environments that you're in let alone to help try and stream those environments to other people who will be watching on their headsets as well so Is it a challenge uh, that was, I suppose, quite easy in that it was kind of copy and paste a model that might have been already there, or is it more difficult because you're trying to not only create that world, but also stream that data as well?
1: Yeah, it is definitely technically a challenging problem. Um, When we started, you know, back in 2015. when we kind of started to narrow down the focus so you know i left unity uh early 2015 um and started the company and you know uh hired a couple of people and we started kicking around ideas and prototypes and i was talking to a lot of investors and i felt like i just wanted to immerse myself in vr first and, and figure out what was out there um, so initially i had some ideas around wow you know is there an opportunity to publish vr games as well as work on you know, sort of streaming and media like like um, technology. And then I really kind of narrowed down into the, the streaming tech is really more my area of expertise versus publishing, which is not something I really, um, you know, I'm not an expert in, I'm not really a content person, per se, on the, on the game side. So um, we have a presentation, it's actually an internal presentation. I think I showed it in public once. It's like 10 ways you might stream VR, nine ways to do it wrong and the way that we, we use. Um, the, the most obvious thing when you think about streaming is you think about, um, video, right? Um, I have a, hammer; it's called video. Everything looks like a nail when I've got that hammer. And so you can take video and you can abuse it in different ways. You can make it 360, you can make it stereoscopic. Um, but it, it's a pretty well known technology and it, it has a good, lot of good use cases for things in the real world. In the real world, if you want to capture something in 360 video is, is a great way to go about it. The challenge is once you get into gamers, Gamers aren't talking about the real world. They're talking about synthetically generated uh, worlds, and they are talking about worlds in which they have agency. In fact, agency in games is one of the kind of core psychological things that attracts people to games. If you've had a tough day at work, you come home, you know, I throw on Destiny, and I'm in Destiny. I'm like a god. You know, I can't be killed. I rise from the dead you know I lay waste all my enemies before me with my best friends it's a very empowering feeling and this is why a lot of gamers you know love games and if you hand me a new game and you hand me a a controller what's the first thing I do when you hand me that controller I push forward on the stick to see what my character does Um, so it's that agency in the world and unfortunately the problem with video is you don't have agency in video because it's taken from one point of view and you you really can't move unless the person taking the video decided to move when they recorded it so One of the kind of core things that we come up with is we need to be re-rendering these worlds in real time. So when Lizzie here is streaming a game with me, I am actually have my own independent point of view and I appear in the world as an independent avatar just as if we were in a real social situation except we're inside the context of her game. Um, And that's something that we really took to heart and sort of, okay, how can we pull that off? Because it's technically very very challenging to to do that but luckily myself and my CTO Dan you know we come from a background of working at game companies and working specifically on game engines like Unity where we had insight into that whereas I think if you came from the purely um, you know the traditional web slash video streaming world it's not as obvious how you would pull that off because it's a very different technical skill set.
0: Which leads me nicely on to uh, the fact that you just raised $11.7 million in funding as well. Um, I'm going to hit you with with a a two-parter kind of a question. Uh, Number one, how did you, I suppose, lay the foundations to be able to go for that kind of level of funding? And second of all, how did you go about actually getting that money as well?
1: Yes, good question. Um, You know, I don't consider myself an expert on fundraising. I always uh, see other CEOs that raise these huge rounds and I'm like, oh, my God, that that people must be so much better than me. (laughs) Um, uh, How I did it, sometimes I still pinch myself. So, you know, I know for entrepreneurs, it's always daunting when you see other entrepreneurs raising large rounds like that. Um, You know, I guess my message to any entrepreneurs is you can do it. If I can do it, anyone can do it. the you know i've been fortunate i've done a few startups now so i've gotten a little bit of experience with it um but i think this was an interesting one for me because a couple of things one is three things really i guess vr is new so it's pretty hot and it was hyped so from that perspective in 2015 2016 it wasn't too hard to raise money right it's always good to have your timing right i've had my timing wrong in other startups occasionally i was raising money in 2008 when the um when the, you know, the world melted down with the financial meltdown. So that was definitely a bad timing situation, uh, for V in 2015 was, it was a good timing situation for VR, right? When Mark Zuckerberg puts a $2 billion bet on something and you see all these other big companies aligning that gets investors interest. Um, the flip side of that is twofold. One is games, traditionally not something that venture capitalists invest in. We're not building games per se, but it's in the area. And then I think the interesting one that I had not anticipated and, um, after, you know, after I got very started, I got, um, I'm f- pretty uh, friendly with the guys at Twitch and Kevin Lynn is one of the founders of Twitch. And one of the things he told me was, um, you know, we pitched over a hundred VCs on Twitch and most of them just didn't understand it. And why don't they understand it? Cause typically VCs are not in the target audience. Of someone that would watch Twitch, um, you know, Twitch audience tends to be a 14 to 24 year old uh, person. You know, they there are people older than that, uh, like myself, that watch Twitch, but generally VCs and Twitch watchers, uh, you know, Twitch audience don't overlap. VCs tend to be much older, and they tend to, for whatever reason, you know, they're not heavy video game content consumers, right? So you can almost think of them as they know two things about Twitch they know they didn't invest in it and they know Amazon bought it for a billion dollars interestingly if you talk to a lot of venture capitalists they you will find that they relate to things like Twitch and YouTube through their children so they will be like yeah you know I don't watch that but my kids watch some guy called PewDiePie or they're watching something on Minecraft on YouTube or they they follow some guy on Twitch but they don't really understand the core mechanic in fact the most common thing you get from VCs um, around a kind of streaming talk is why wouldn't you just want to play the game? Why would you want to watch the game? Um, so that's an interesting thing. There's a fundamental disconnect there, and the um, the solution to that is twofold. One is um, very fortunate to have you know local friends uh, that have done well in other companies that came in as my first angels. Um, you know, without them. Uh, You know, two of them in particular that have funded companies, have founded companies you'd be um, fairly familiar with. uh, They just came in on a a whim and wrote me small checks to start with. So I had enough money to get a few people on board and start building some prototypes and fleshing out what it was that we're actually building. And that was literally a small team of just four of us, myself, my CTO and two developers. And then when we went on the road to talk to more investors later in 2015, um, you know, I, I, I circled around the investors that knew games pretty well. And I was pretty fortunate to meet a young guy in L.A. Uh, his name's Kevin Zhang, and he was um, a principal at Upfront Ventures at the time. And it's interesting, you know, you go to a company that's outside the Bay Area. Sometimes they think a little different. Um, and these guys are in Santa Monica. So they're, they're a little more open to the kind of entertainment and content side of the world and also very consumer centric. But the real thing that moved the needle for us was that Kevin himself was a gamer and he watched Twitch. And he understood innately what is the attraction of me watching a game and having a social interaction with other people during that. And that's something you can tell people about and they can intellectually understand it, but they can't actually rationalize it because it's not part of their own behavior. So it's kind of like the puppy dog sale, you know? If you're selling a juicero, you simply take the juicero to the VC's office and leave it there. Most people drink juice, hey, this is cool. Everyone has hundreds of dollars to spend on juice a month, right? Let's get one of these. So we know that's not the case now. But um, in our case, you know, we were basically talking about something that people had no concept of. So we would get a lot of excitement that people would do things in a VR demo, um, but not really understanding of what we were talking about. And it wasn't until we met Kevin, we actually hauled a VR rig down at Santa Monica. And this is 2015. These are prototype rigs, you know, very uh, temperamental um, you know, sometimes we do invested demos it wouldn't work because there'd be too much glass or something in the room because the very early rigs were very sensitive to that. Uh, they obviously are much better now. Um, and I remember we, we set up the rig in the office at Upfront Ventures. And I just remember the look on Kevin's face and the look on Mark Suster's face. And also Mark Suster, you know, very well-known entrepreneur. He has a blog. If you're not reading it, uh, it's called Both Sides of the Table. It's one of the most valuable blogs in the space. I wish I'd had it 10 years ago. Having, having seen those guys... And what they, uh, they immediately got it straight away. And then they said, hey, we want to lead a seed round. And uh, once I had that lead and a couple of my angels, a couple of local investors like Vulcan, uh, then it came together very, very quickly. So it really is, you've got to find that person that really understands the vision. And it, you have to kiss a lot of frogs. i met with a lot of VCs in <laughs> the days that just didn't understand really what we were talking about. And, and if you don't have a demo, I mean, My initial pitches before I even had a demo, they were very tough. Like, you know, you're talking about something that's so far removed from people's experience, and it really goes to show that for something like this, you need to be able to show a demonstration of some sort, even if it's a complete mock-up, which in many cases, you know, a lot of our stuff was just early mock-ups. They get it pretty quickly in that case.
0: And So what is the challenge facing VR? Is it that people, don't understand it or they don't see a place for it themselves or or where's the challenge there?
1: Yeah, uh, I think, you, you know, as a CEO, you've got to be a little bit schizophrenic about this stuff. So 2015, 2016, there's a lot of hype around VR. So great. That's awesome. If you're fundraising or recruiting people, then I think, you know, you have to leverage that. You also have to be schizophrenic in the sense that you do not believe the hype. Um, do not start believing that it's going to be a massive market overnight. Um, you know, those analyst reports are always very interesting. There are great ways to get data about the future and think about it. If it turns out to be true, that's fantastic. But you cannot afford to, to uh, risk your, um, you know, your, your company on that. So we took that approach. We went out there early, started talking about Real, raise money and, and the vision of what we wanted to do. But realistically, as a company, um, you know we understand that it is going to be a while for VR to be a mainstream thing now I have no doubt that it will be a mainstream uh, part of the, the technology landscape this is what uh, gamers have been trying to get to for 20 years with bigger screens and haptics and surround sound and all those things but we just don't have the killer hardware and we don't have the killer content yet so this is not like the first iPhone this is like the Blackberry before the iPhone right you know it. It's kind of a funky device some people really loved it but a lot of people just didn't have it until you know apple cracked the code on how to make it super easy to use and then you know even look at gaming on on, as a uh, example right um people people keep looking around what's the killer game going to be you know is it going to be a game from a big studio no if you go and look at gaming in 2009 2010 Everyone thought that gaming on mobile was going to come from EA and Activision. And it didn't. It was some little companies in Finland, Supercell and Rovio and a company in London, King, that no one had ever heard of before. And speaking generally, that created the breakout games that were, oh, wow, you must play this game. Uh, and so we think the same thing about VR. It'll be someone that's grown up on the platform. It's the studio that we're probably talking to now. That's a few people in a room somewhere, probably not. Uh, on the West Coast, even. Um, and they're they're going to create the thing that is like, just like Halo sold the Xbox, and just like, you know, Angry Birds was the must-play game on your phone, there will be some game like that for VR. It's probably still a year or two away. The same thing goes for the hardware. You know, the existing hardware is great, but it still has a pretty uh, steep cost attached to it. It still has a pretty um, complicated setup requirement. So, Uh, You know, it's great for me because I'm an enthusiast and I'm willing to set it up in the office and set it up at home and I'm willing to put my headset on every day and and, and go and find new content. It has not gotten to the point where someone that's a little more casual could just slip on a headset and quickly do that. But we're getting there. I mean, even in the last six months, you know, we're seeing evolution in all the products with the Microsoft products with their, you know, um, no cameras or lighthouses required. Uh, you know, we saw the evolution in the Vive with better screens at CES with the Vive Pro. Um, you know, Oculus is obviously working on a bunch of new stuff this year with Santa Cruz and the, the Oculus Go. So, those things are all happening. Um, they will take time to happen. I think you've just got to have a long-term view and be patient, which is very hard as an entrepreneur, especially if you're used to sort of high-velocity companies that pivot and and move very fast. I think the main thing to remember is. There is enough people with VR headsets. There's a you know, there's a couple of million people with desktop VR headsets, and there's several hundred thousand gamers that are engaged and they're playing games, and that is enough for you to figure out is this something that people want to do? And that's really the essential question of all VR startups is are you creating something that people want to do? And there is definitely a big enough market to prove that question. Then it becomes how can you make your 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 runway last until you know, we get to this tomorrow where there is the perfect $200 headset and the killer game that everyone has to have.
0: Uh, speaking of that runway, you've got uh, $11.7 billion in funding. It's all well and good to have it, but now you've got to do something with it. Uh, so what is the future of VR? then?
1: Yeah, so, you know, we've had a pretty uh, intense couple of years, uh, really, you know, very deep R and D into how we actually build the product and, 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 you know, get something out there. And then 2017 was the first time we started actually really engaging with content creators. So we did a couple of things with some Twitch streamers, uh, hyper RPG. We did a, a thing with rooster teeth as well. So that was kind of stage one because really when you think about networks like Twitch and YouTube, um, there's multiple parties involved. There's an audience that wants content but that audience really um, is grown around content creators and it's not homogenous. Um, you know, there is a lot of different content creators with a lot of different sorts of content and it's pretty inspiring. You meet these young people, um, You know, they might've been working as a barista six months ago and they've built a channel around themselves on Twitch and YouTube and every day they've got people following them and they've turned it into their livelihood. So those content creators are one of the reasons that we're building Be real we want them to have access to this kind of technology to create new sorts of content. So, you know, we were at TwitchCon, for example, a few months ago in uh, Long Beach, and we met with dozens and dozens of them over over the course of the show. And every one of them, we put them in a headset, showed them what v is. Hey, do you think you could use this to create something? Absolutely, great, tell us what you need. Now, uh, we actually have an alpha that we just put out. We went and closed alpha last month. So, we've started to get code into those people's hands and to actually understand how they might use the technology, what it would look like. So, we have a closed alpha right now. Um, We have some content creators in it, we have some audience uh, in there as well. We have four games uh, up and running uh, in there right now. And it's enough for us to understand how to improve the product, how to find all the bugs how to make sure that there's a fun social experience and there is content that people actually want to watch. And so, you know, I've gotten over my desire to want to understand the future 100%. And I think I've, as a CEO, managed to pull back a little bit and say, you know, it's not me, I am not the arbiter of what content is going to be consumed by this future audience. Um, I really think that we, we have ideas about what that content will be, but we're also very open to Letting the audience and the content creators guide us in the direction that they want to go, because you can never predict these things. And people that do spend a lot of time, um, you know, uh, analyzing what that might that future might be. I'd rather spend that time actually working on a product, iterating it with the people who are actually going to create that future content. And that's that's not me.
0: And how does the mentality and the culture change within the company when you've got that amount of money coming into the company? Because obviously you can't from a kind of i suppose a mentality of bootstrapping and keeping an eye on money and making sure that you get the maximum out of the least that you've got now you've got so much money that you can finally start doing things that you want to do how does that kind of change the mentality and the culture within a company when you have that kind of i suppose the freedom to to move now
1: yeah. Um, you know, the company's been pretty well funded since probably late 2015. So I feel like we've always been able to take care of people, you know, um, and we haven't had to scrape too much. I've certainly had companies where we've had no funding at all. We've we've been, you know, scraped. And it's pretty tough to do that, you know, for a long period of time. If you want to have professional people involved full time, you know, people need salaries, they need health insurance. Um, there's not a lot of people that are willing to go on the ramen quest with you. I've done it a couple of times. Um, it's not, it's not necessarily fun. You can do it. Um, it's probably a younger person's game, I would say, in in, in many respects. Um, so for this company, though, we don't, we have not changed things very much. The Series A is something that we've been working on for some time. Um, you know, one of our goals of 2017 was basically to, to to get the Series A funding. Uh, we are hiring a couple of key hires. There's a few specific things that we want to do, but we're not going to increase the headcount dramatically. Um, I think, you know, we are, you, you can hype a lot about fundraising, but ultimately what the fundraising gives us is two things. It gives us great people that are involved with and committed to the company. So just like Kevin uh, upfront was our original seed investor, Axioma Ventures is the new uh, lead in the series A and they bought Chet Falacek, who by the way, was the guy that gave me that demo back at Valve back in 2014. How's that cosmic, uh, you know, so, <laughs> um, so, so it brings
0: it people to the company, yeah. Um, I just wanted to deviate slightly as well, uh, just in, in the conversation. You're based there in Seattle, and I suppose a lot of people look at Seattle and places like San Francisco as, as really great places for startups that encourage startups, that help them to foster and grow. We're kind of at the very kind of, I suppose, the adolescent period in Ireland with startups and kind of learning to... Kind of work with them and develop them and give them what they need, etc. What is it about Seattle itself that has done that and is doing that?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think it's really difficult to replicate the Silicon Valley uh, ecosystem, um, and Seattle doesn't have anything like that ecosystem in many respects. Uh, so, and having come from a place that you know, uh, you know, the west coast of Australia is is a long way from from the the tech centers of the world as well. Two things really. That really, uh, to me, one is cultural. In the U.S., it is acceptable to start a company, try something, fail and try again. I would say in other countries, certainly in Australia, we have this thing called the tall poppy syndrome. Uh, In the Nordic countries, they have something called the Jante laws. Uh, There's a slightly different attitude towards that. And like you said, it's changing. Um, You know, your parents may have that attitude, but your peers may not. Um, and that is one of the things that really needs to change that, you know what, you can try something. And as long as you gave it a good college try, you were above board and honest with everyone about what happened. The fact that it may not have been a success is just part of the nature of, you know, the, the thing that all humans are doing, which is trying to make, you know, something interesting and make the world better. Right. So that, that is part of it. And then the other part that we have here is we have the proximity to technology companies and people with experience and money that makes it possible to actually do something that's venture funded. And we don't have a ton of startups in Seattle. Um, I mean, really, if you look at the genesis of what happened here and you trace back from the people that were the early angel investors, including people like Vulcan um, and some of my early angels, a lot of that goes back to Microsoft. And the fact that Microsoft set up here in the 80s um, created a, a generation of people that are sort of tech oriented, that have done pretty well out of that, and they're willing to invest in other speculative ventures. And, you know, that, that could be as small as someone writing a check for 10 dollars or $20,000, right? But that's enough capital for a small company to actually have the time to think about something cool to do. So it's difficult to replicate that in other, um, you know, in other countries. One of the things I think that helps is to have examples to hold up. In Australia, they've had Atlassian as a great example of a tech company that's done very well. And so I think that's helped change the conversation there. Um, I hope that in Europe that you see more companies like that in the future. Mm,
0: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Todd, if you want to find out more about what you guys are doing there at VREAL, keep abreast of maybe uh, your own developments and such, how can they do that?
1: Yeah, definitely. Come to VREAL.net, V-R-E-A-L.net. And uh, you know we are adding more people to the alpha, so you can sign up for the alpha there. And uh, yeah, we look forward to uh, you know meeting people in there. We're also on Twitter at VReal Official, and I'm on uh, Twitter personally at, at Todd Hooper. Absolutely fantastic, uh, Todd Hooper, CEO
0: and founder of VReal. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us a fabulous insight into uh, your story there at VReal. Thank you. You're listening to The Hustle Podcast, stories for startups and innovators. Find out more on www.gohustle.co.